Podcast ain't played nobody. Let's go sharply against Brian real fast. Okay. We were in New York. We had our meetings, um, and one game keep, kept coming up. We're going to have to devote attention to it, and we're also going to have to either curtail our ongoing theory or, or squash it altogether. And that theory, Bill, is that neutral site, week one openers, while delightful, wonderful to the palate, to the Labor Day palate, are actually empty calories by and large. Because, okay. here's why. Uh, I think Florida State and Alabama might actually be the game that goes the distance in terms of impact and mm-hmm. quality. Wire to wire, baby. Yeah. Well, yeah, first of all, I mean, these are basically preseason bowls for the most part, which um, don't really have much of an impact on anything. But in this case, we're starting out the season with maybe the two best teams in the country playing each other. That's going to be weird. Uh, uh, yeah, not something I'm used to with these games. Now, we've had, we've had big matchups. Really big matchups. In the oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Got some I nice don't know if matchup. we've had this size matchup. <clears throat> Short of a national title rematch, the way that the NFL engineers like a conference championship or a Super Bowl rematch on those like on that opening slate, because Clemson doesn't have like Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams and those guys, they're expected to take a step back. Florida State is expected to take a step forward. These teams haven't played each other in a minute. This is the biggest game you could probably ask for, fair to say, right? But also, the this game will probably have a will, will probably reverberate longer than any other neutral side opener I can think of in recent years. Feel free to punch a hole in that. But as I've scrolled through casually, um, the Chick Fil A kickoff, which is where this thing's going to be in the new Atlanta uh, football soccer stadium, Mercedes Benz. It's Mercedes Benz Stadium. I don't. They've had a really bad run, actually. They had, like, Louisville and Auburn-type level, you know, Georgia, North Carolina. Fairly obsolete when it comes to the national title picture by, like, Columbus Day, if not earlier. When's Columbus Day? I don't know. It's October. Uh, October or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fine. That's all we need to know. <laughs> um, I don't know how we should feel about this. Now, college football fans are just going to be happy, but they were happy. I feel like people were happy last year. Last year was the greatest slate ever. Remember that? Yeah. And it still was, even though Notre Dame and Texas both went kaput. Uh, by the way, my, my descriptors, since I've become a parent, this is how dad puns exist, is because you, you lose the, the forked tongue of the profanity and the dirty innuendo, and now I say stuff like kaput. Um... I say, my goodness, a lot. That That's something I never mm. really uh, anticipated saying in my life. Um, I guess we're fine with this. We celebrate. Right, I well, mean, yeah. maybe we, 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 Bill, we've gone so far beyond the pale of looking for the minutia and the wonderfully esoteric that maybe we've just stopped and, and become unable to appreciate the big old fat headliner popcorn movie. And that's what this thing is. Yeah. Well... I, you know, I mean, yeah, we'll appreciate it. I think, you know, the, the effects are going to be obvious, though. We've never had a two-loss team in the playoff. And so, you know, that could change. And, you know, they're the loser of this game, if they end up doing really well, will certainly be given kind of a, at least a little bit of benefit of the doubt here. Mm-hmm. But bottom line is the loser of that game, and one of them has to lose, the loser of that game is staring at a slate in a pretty tough conference, in a really tough conference, either one. Uh, where they might have to go eleven and zero or twelve and zero, 
to make the playoff. And I mean, that's not guaranteed. They, they would obviously be the top ranked two loss team, no matter what. But we haven't seen the committee bump a two loss team over a one loss team within that top four. And so this could bring up, we always talk about precedent with the, with the playoff committee and, and the things, you know, once they've done something, we know that's what they're going to do. We don't know how they're going to handle this and, and it'll be another little precedent to, to tick off, I guess. Say, let's just say Bama wins. Um, that puts Florida State right back in the conversation. Um, <clears throat> unless you can tell me what Miami's going to be in 2017, you would have sort of a schedule without argument until they play Louisville in Doak on the 21st of October. So let's just say they lose. It's ULM uh, at home, Miami at home, NC State at home, at Wake, a bye at Duke, and then they would get Louisville at home. Essentially, what we're looking at is a completely manageable schedule, say, for going to Clemson. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, having Miami... Manageable. Now, here's... So, so in, I think I'm going to talk my way out of you disagreeing with me. Manageable without Alabama. Right? One loss, two loss whoa, without whoa, whoa, right, Alabama. Right. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, but yeah, you're you might need to go four and zero against Miami, who re- really is a decent quarterback away from being awesome. I think we we don't know about their quarterback situation. If only they, they had a coach especially. that was really good at grooming quarterbacks. Yeah, right. Uh, especially early in the season, maybe whatever they do enough with, they don't have yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that's a good time to probably play Miami and they get them at home. But still, mm-hmm. you've got to maybe go four and zero against Miami, Louisville, at Clemson, at Florida. And then you've got to avoid slipping up, uh, well, at the very least against like NC State or something who could be decent. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's really tricky. And again, you know, maybe they, if they go, if Clemson's awesome again and they lose a tight game to Clemson along with their tight loss to Alabama or whatever, maybe that's enough. Maybe they mm-hmm. still get in. Well, that's tough. I mean, you, this is a really, there's going to be a very high-pressure situation, even if these two teams play a very, very good game against each other and each of them look like top-five teams. There's going to be anxiety uh, for the team who loses because we don't know that you can uh, lose again. Alabama, a workman like Alabama, which is just essentially redundant to Alabama. But uh, let's just say Jalen Hurts is, is 15% better at the things that he allegedly wasn't bad at or wasn't good at last season. Let's say they win the game. Mm-hmm. Fresno State, Colorado State at Vandy to open league play. Home against an Ole Miss team that we just don't know. But even in its best incarnation, still probably not going to win. At A&M, home for Arkansas, home for Tennessee. That puts them in a bye week on October 28th before they see an LSU team that's probably the only one truly equipped to hang with them. I'm not saying that a team like A&M or Tennessee couldn't pull an upset in a, a circumstantial, that second Ole Miss win in Bryant-Denny. And you've got to gotta keep including Ole Miss as long as Hugh Freeze is there, even though they've got 38 other issues. We know they'll play well against Alabama. I, I th- That's a huge, huge asterisk, only because I don't know if he just loses the roster mentally. Right, yeah, yeah we'll there's see, no telling. Which is a whole other there, conversation. Uh, Ole Miss was the crazy guy in the fight last year. Yeah. I mean, this year they're even, they're more wounded and crazier. It's going to be great. Um, the winner of this team will, will be the number one team in America almost certainly through oh, yeah. half the season. The loser of this game, and this is what I'm getting at, this is why I wanted to lead the show with this as I, as I devote more time to this. 
the floor is so high for the loser of this game. They're probably the number two through six team in the country all the way through half half the season, at least. Right. Man. This is probably the biggest game that we've ever had on opening weekend. Man, and just think about, like, well, it doesn't really work with Alabama. I was thinking if they had, like, a... Um... They had like a good. It was like at old Miss, at a good old Miss in like week three, like they've had before. Mm-hmm. Um, the thought experiment of them still looking like a top five or ten team, but starting the season like one and two, mm-hmm. uh, and how does Ala freaking Bama respond to that? That's fascinating. But they do have a. I mean, they, you know, they'll be they'll be four and one when they go to College Station, no matter what. So it doesn't quite apply. But yeah, if you like lose any direct path to your primary goal as Alabama. That's, you know, that, that team could go in a lot of different directions. By the way, here are the four times. I, I just looked this up because why the hell not? The four times that Alabama and Florida State have played. Uh, so this is definitely not a, uh, something we see very often. Number one was 1965, October 23rd, when uh, Alabama, uh, who uh, at that point was still mostly only scheduling teams from a certain area of the country because it was 1965, um, Played, uh, beat Florida State in Tuscaloosa, twenty-one to nothing. The Florida State finished four, five, and one that year. Alabama uh, had lost the season opener to Georgia and then didn't lose again. Uh, then in nineteen sixty-seven, they played. Well, it wasn't a return trip at all. They they played at Birmingham um, when a really good Florida State team that went seven, two, and two uh, tied them thirty-seven, thirty-seven. Uh, in Birmingham, Alabama only gave up what looks like 94 uh, points over the final 10 games that year, but Florida State exploded on them uh, and and tied them. Um, then the next game in the series was 1974, again in, ew. Okay, um, before before week one, I'm going to look up the, the story of this game. So Alabama, which would finish 11-1, hosted Florida State, which would finish 1-10. That was the the horrible dead period before Bobby Bowden uh, came aboard. Teachers College. Alabama Alabama started 11-0 and and, and uh, only gave up 96 points all year. They were very, very, very good. They beat Florida State 8-7. to They beat a terrible Florida State team 8-7. to I am going to write that? about that game in about five months. Give me the 8. Um, I will have to look that up in a second. Uh, oh, by the way, then the next time maybe you had broken down my quarters or something. No, I'm just looking at the pure results. Oh, but trust me, give me 30 seconds. Uh, you vamp for a second. Uh, the last game just to finish. Go series, robot. Though, Go robot. 07 was the last time these two teams played. The only time yeah. in 40 years that they played. That was the what Bowden's last season or something close to it. And um, Saban's first. And Saban's first. And 21-14, Florida State won. Um, and then, you know, that was the season Alabama, of course, uh, was okay, lost to ULM late. Uh, very weird season. Lots of close w- losses, which uh, usually pretend good things in the future. And uh, then they went 12-0 and 0 to start the, the machine next that Yeah, there's, there's, so much, there's so many important things that start in 2007 in, in Tuscaloosa that we're yep. feeling today going on 10 years later. It really is an interesting season. All right. I'm just going to go ahead and admit it. Um, it's going to be a really big, important game. Obviously, I think it's probably already sold out. Um, it will be surely insane, electric. It's the first major sporting event aside from the Atlanta United MLS games that will be at Mercedes Benz. So it really will be a debut for that stadium and that facility. I'm okay with this. I'm all right with this. Huh. Okay. 
Okay with this. Now, Tuscaloosa, would I rather Alabama. would I rather this be in Doak? Or and then and then the next yes. year in Bryant Denny, of Ooh. course. Hell yeah. Um I don't know. But if you know, preseason bad. bowls. They're not bad if you get the right teams. All right. Yeah. Tuscaloosa, Alabama, UPI report. Bucky Berry kicked a 36-yard field goal with 33 seconds remaining to enable second-ranked and unbeaten Alabama to edge winless Florida State 8-7 after the Seminoles had gambled by giving the Crimson Tide a deliberate safety. Nice! So it was 3-2. Florida State, which lost its 17th consecutive game, longest losing streak in major college football, led 7-3 and had a fourth down on its own five with 127 left when the Seminoles decided to send punter Joe Downey out of the back of the end zone rather than risk a punt. That play narrowed the margin to to 7-5 after Florida State's free kick uh, from its own 20, the tie took over on the Seminole 48. Jack O'Rear hit Ozzie Newsom for a 32-yard pass to the Seminole 16. The next play, three plays lost Alabama three yards, creating a fourth and 13 situation on the 19. Barry, a 6'1", 200-pound sophomore from Montgomery, then booted the field goal, giving Alabama its 32nd straight victory at Denny Stadium. Not Bryant Denny, Denny Stadium, uh, where 58,394 fans watched the non-conference game in 80-degree heat. Only 58,000? God, what a what a terrible uh, fan base. That's a that's a fair-weather fan base right there. Oh, and Florida State missed a 19-yard field goal earlier in the game. <laughs> call Ozzie Newsom and see what he thinks about all this. Uh, Bill! Yep. This is podcast ain't played nobody. It's a college football it marriage of numbers and words. That voice is robot Bill Connolly. He invented the S&P Plus analytics system. He is the proprietor of SB Nation's football study hall and author of the forthcoming book, 50 Best College Football Teams of All Time. My name is Stephen Godfrey, um, and I, I, I hung out at Temple last Friday. I don't even have anything witty to put in here this week. I hung out with nerds in Boston. All right. And you, it was great. You, <laughs> Just to really captivate the listeners that we have, do you want to do Temple first or what in the hell you were doing in Boston, Massachusetts? Um, well, the, per PAP and brand here, I think we have to start with Temple. Ty, Ty to Temple, goes to the... Ty, Ty goes to the AAC program, always. Uh, <laughs> went to Temple. Um, it's the first stop on my spring visits tour. Uh, we'll have a feature here in the works, I think, in about a week. Uh, if Florida will cooperate. Uh, Jeff Collins is the new head coach at Temple. He's very, very, very close with... Former head coach Matt Rule made it a much more logical transition than I than I had originally thought when Collins got the job. Um, Temple is the most AAC program going right now, and I mean that for better and worse. <clears throat> they have an uptick in interest and sort of a surge in in a, and this is like super small in perspective to the Power Five, but like you know people care in Philadelphia. They like that the neighborhood around Temple is sort of engaged in the in the football team and they've done something and it gives Philadelphia a modicum of a college football identity. The funniest thing I can tell you is that when I walked into their um, modest but very nice um, football facility, they have a kind of Florida, like in their, they have an atrium with like a reception desk, whatever, it's pretty standard for a college football facility. But then like, you know, they have the second floor kind of open and overlooking the first they have Florida ceiling wallpaper underneath that of when game day was there. Yeah. Okay, so it's like a giant. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember turn yeah. into like a wall as soon as you walk in to sort of really capture the spirit of what Temple can be. Um, the funniest thing <laughs> to me as I was waiting for Coach Collins is that they, God bless him, this Philly as hell. They just ran a photo 
I don't know when they blew that photo up to like 10 feet by 8 feet that they necessarily thought, we should look and see what some of these signs say. (laughs) So there's like, right when you walk in my eye line, I'm a tall person, so maybe it's not the natural eye line, catches a sign that says, I'm fat. And then like a couple signs over, (laughs) there's a picture of Bill Cosby with a cross through him. There's like, God bless him because it's just like, when you stand there and there's a couple signs making fun of Penn State. Um, it's it's wonderful because that's the true clean picture of what you get at college game day. Whereas like even on college game day when you watch, they've got that thing down to a science. You know the guys are like in front of that screen and they have the cameras positioned to where there's only really a narrow slice of fans that get their signs on TV. This was not that. This was like a super wide shot, so you got to see everything. You got to see the signs that they didn't like on television. Um, super small as I, but I was cracking up as I was waiting to meet meet with Coach Collins. Yeah. Um, the only thing I I remember about I, I got I visited I visited a rule at, at Temple over the summer actually, and um, <clears throat> the only thing I remember about it is it took me like thirty eight minutes to find parking. Uh, yeah, oh, I, your boy that was brutal. That entire campus, there's nowhere to park. Yeah, your boy Ubered from his hotel. Um, yeah, that's, that was a very smart thing. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting. They're going to be as aggressive as Collins has been on on defense, uh, specifically with the way that they blitz and create pressures. Um, I mean, just watch a Florida game the last two years. Go back to what he did at Mississippi State. Um, you know, philosophically, they don't really adhere to one. You know, it's not like, oh, he's a 3-3-5 guy, 4-3-3-4, whatever. They just like to bring a lot of pressure. They like to... <clears throat> it's funny when you hear coaches describe it and then you as the writer have to parse out the, the cliche. As I describe this now, I'm trying to like toe around the cliche. They are not beholden to a formation. They are very good at being exotic on third down. They like to blitz a lot. Um, and that's really before I, that's kind of everything you can say before you get into cliche. It's funny because I asked Collins this, like as their interview kind of wore on, you know, it's, a couple years ago, Bill, we were able to say, okay, well, that guy used to be a defense coordinator and offensive coordinator. Okay, well, what kind of guy is he, right? We, we talked right. about this in our meetings in New York. Um, is he an air raid guy? Is he off the leech tree, is, you know, which is the mummy tree? Um, or, okay, is he, he's a pro set guy? So he's like a USC guy. So is he like a Pete Carroll guy? You know, the, that instant identifier stuff is really going away. And I think coaches want it too because I, they hate to be pigeonholed. They don't even, especially head coaches, don't even like to talk about the fact that, oh, I'm a defensive guy, I'm an offensive guy. Um, there aren't really, especially when you hire a defensive coordinator, there's just not a lot of guys where you can say he's an X, especially right. on defense, because defenses are changing. They're forced to change so much and so often. Now, the one trend he did talk about was the influence that he's had from. Dan Quinn, the head coach of the Falcons, who was the defensive coordinator under Pete Carroll at Seattle. I asked him, like, what are you guys going to look like? In real broad strokes, Seattle is probably the, the Seattle Seahawks defense as a lot of under Quinn, and then I can't remember who took over for him. Um, that defense has become wildly popular. Also, right. Keanu Neal, who, who Collins coached at Florida, you know, almost a rookie of the year for the Falcons this year at safety. Um, but there's no real necessarily pin it down and say style they run a 4-3 but that's pretty much it um right the one thing you know about those defenses that kind of became trademarked was the whole the ethos of dare the official to call pass interference on you on every single pass that's thrown uh, because they won't you want to hold up a cliche card physical would be it 
Right. They want to jam. They like they like using their hands, especially on the outside. They like getting handsy with those receivers, Bill. Hey, by the way, speaking of handsy, I uh, didn't realize it until after I'd done it. I used Pointsy in a preview the other day. Just yeah. In- just instinctively. So well done. I'm rubbing off. Well, we all know that I'm kind of the brains behind this operation. Um, unabashed pro set they're going to run at the old temple. Uh, kind of made me think about what exactly Matt Rule is going to do to adapt himself. You know, the, the pro set was sort of in place at Temple when Collins came in. Kind of the mind wanders, and, and I really think, well, how, how, how much of an embrace is Matt Rule going to give the old Brile system at Baylor? I don't know. Right. It would be really interesting well, to watch. Who is his, like, didn't he have Matt Lubick for like a minute? Uh, who's his? He was, he was one of the stops on the Matt Lubick offseason tour. So who is his offensive coordinator at the moment? I'm they've, pulling it up. They've, as as uh, I'm going to pull it up right now, but they've been a little diplomatic about what they want to do on offense. I think everything I just said is funny about systems. There's a demand at Baylor, even after everything they've gone through, for for Rule and his staff to maintain that philosophy. Because it's much like we always talk about option schools like the academies or Georgia Southern there's a belief in place that you can't win unless you do X and in Texas I mean gosh just look at Charlie Strong last year right people still are, are convinced had they had he not made a, an offensive coordinator hire so late in the game that was amenable to um, the Texas high school product that he'd still be there I don't agree with that that's taking a lot of stuff for granted but that's what they I mean that's how they feel so it's going to be very so, interesting to see. So you've got Jeff Nixon as co-offensive coordinator, running backs coach, former 49ers tight ends coach. And then and then you've got um, somebody else. There's like a uh, – man, this is weird. Man, like, okay, keep, keep talking. I'm going to keep looking for the other <laughs> offensive coordinator here. Um. George DeLeon is going to come over. He was, he was, I think, officially the, I think he was the O-line title coach at, at Temple on that staff. DeLeon was with Ed Ogeron for a while. DeLeon is a veteran. I mean, th- the moves that they're making aren't really indicative, even hiring Lubick and Nixon. They, that's not indicative of saying, hey, we want to stay out in the Baylor system. But it's not like you can right. keep Kendall Brile. so kind of curious. Thomas. Glenn Thomas, your his former OC at Temple, I yeah. guess, is also. Uh, yeah, that's that's not saying that's not air raid at all. That's not Bryles raid or anything else. That's um, uh, that makes me nervous. Anytime you kind of come in and you just patch. It, well, I mean, it, but yeah, it sounds like Charlie Strong when he first got there. He's like, oh, I'm going to bring in a uh, uh, Wickline, and I'm going to bring in this guy, and these guys haven't really ever worked together very much. I mean, he has a lot of Temple guys here, yeah. but Temple also didn't really have an offensive identity uh, that stuck very well. So, yeah, consider me nervous for Baylor's offense. There's a weird positivity coming out of Baylor. I couch all this. Positivity coming out of the perception of Baylor as purely a football team. Um, the program is still mired in a disgusting film. Um, but Rule signing a really good class, coming in like a house of fire in terms of recruiting, he still has to rapidly and, and, and aggressively change locker room culture. Okay, 
Um, he has to endear himself to Texas high school football coaches when you have Tom Herman out against you now and someone already in place. All right. And Cliffy. Yeah, sure. Okay. And he's got to dispel the myth that Charlie Strong couldn't, that Tommy Tuberville couldn't, that, I mean, let me think off the top of my head, um, pretty much any Texas coach that comes into a major Texas program you adapt to their system in Texas, not the other way around. And that really, that philosophy comes directly from Art Bryles and what he did at Baylor. So <laughs> they come up lined up under center and running power. It's going to be fascinating. That <laughs> no, doesn't I mean, work that was anywhere, even Kansas, the, which is like, you know what? Screw this. Yeah. No, that was the trick. That's the trickiest part of this whole situation is um, that, that stadium was built on Art Bryles' offense. Yeah. Um, and, and boy, yeah, no rule power to him. He's, he's a, a good guy. Um, and he's a good recruiter and he just seems like a good football dude. You know, he didn't really yeah. have, uh, any specific influences in place or, or guaranteed influences when he took over at temple. And so that always made me skeptical and then he did great. So I, long term, I assume he will do very well there, but short term, yeah, consider me very nervous about that offense. Um, I don't even want to get into the fun, like weird stuff that Collins does, the, the juice points and the swag coordinator and all that. Cause that's, I'm saving that for the actual story. Um, I'm having to track down former swag coordinators cause that's a, that's a sense. <laughs> um, but, uh, the, I'll leave it, I'll, I'll leave it on this with Collins, uh, you know, Temple right now whispers about an on-campus stadium. That's about it. Obviously decades of, of total relevance and, and no attention from fans, finance, what you know, donors, whatever. It's not, it's, you know, Collins is a Georgia native. Um, he's really made his bones in the Southeastern Conference, but I don't think he, obviously, this isn't a forever guy. I think he's going to be a great fit for a couple years. Um, you know, I was just, for some reason, thought about this. He could be a, a really good fit in a couple years from now if, like, Paul Johnson's time finally comes. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. Right. That is just a supposition that is nothing more than that <laughs> so i don't want twitter to get mad or or pass off some crap but it would make sense i'll put it that i way. know they've been weighing this uh, they've been de- like there's a group at temple that really has been trying to figure out how the hell to get this get a stadium on campus but i mean number one if you just look at the map like where the hell does this go <laughs> Yeah, it, it would be very, very difficult to do. And, and again, they need to show long-term sustains success. That's why, I mean... Right. I, I, I'll speak directly to our massive Temple contingency and just say, if you're just a springboard program that's consistently a successful springboard, that's a massive upgrade. Yeah. Massive upgrade compared to what you were. You're ahead of Tulane in that regard in your conference. You're ahead of um, really SMU. And they have their own stadium and a ton of a ton of money in their coffers for football, but that puts you ahead of the game considerably. I mean, that's one thing you should consider if you're a Temple fan. Um, I don't think you're quite yet Cincinnati. You're certainly not Houston, but you're you're a good, solid, workmanlike program, and you embrace that and run the Philly stuff out in marketing, and it works. It does. So, um, yeah, that's yeah, probably I'm, that's probably I'm, the 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 extent of my my Temple analysis. But <laughs> well, they. Um, um, as of last September, they seemed to they kind of had a plan that they were pushing forward uh, for a thirty five thousand seat stadium that would cost somewhere in the neighborhood of one hundred twenty five million dollars, 
Um, and it seems to have stalled out. I'm trying to find an address for it so I can at least place it on the map. But um, like I said, as things currently stand, the traffic on that campus is amazing. Or the, tra- the, the lack of parking is amazing. So not only would you have to build a, a 35,000-seat stadium, which is at least a couple blocks, mm-hmm. uh, you would then have to build like at least one parking garage uh, you would have to do just so much, and I, I, I don't, I don't see how that works. They're, they really not, done a nice job with that facility, just kind of cramming it in by the railroad tracks and uh, making the most of the space they have. I just, they, they don't, I don't know if they have more space. Um, if you if you went to a major school and you know a power five, you you may not understand why this is a big deal, but when you have an off campus stadium, it's just really. It's just hard to translate energy on game days, especially when you're renting it from an NFL team. So they're about, it's about a 20 minute, 25 minute drive. I think depending, I just pulled up on Google Maps, like the the collection of stadiums and arenas, are they're all kind of together on the southeastern part of Philadelphia and Temple is very much on the northern side of the city. It's just hard to to kind of keep that energy going on game. I mean, I've seen I, this has been Miami's curse for years since the Orange Bowl was shut down, because back then they were very much the city's team and not necessarily even the University of Miami's team. So it's a it's just a hard sell in general. Yeah. I mean, so and here's the other part of it. So apparently they did actually get pretty far. They tore down a few apartments uh, to clear some space, but basically. As in in this uh, this NBC Philly uh, article that I'm reading, this is all this is all coming back to me now. So, uh, as they put it, Temple occupies a large swath of impoverished North Philadelphia, and the largely black population has long been concerned about being shoved out by rising rents and an expanding university footprint. Uh, the student population living near campus has more than doubled in the past decade. And a May report uh, by the Pew Charitable Trust found that median home sales near the proposed stadium site have spiked tenfold. From a, from eleven thousand two hundred fifty dollars to one hundred forty thousand, um, Temple has tried to soothe concerns by stressing the potential benefits of a stadium, including new jobs and retail outlets. But re- residents remain unconvinced. Um, there, there were protests. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, you get the idea. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. And so, in the immediate terms of football, it means that you're probably going to have a couple more coaches kind of rotate in and out, and that is okay. The 10-year coach is a rarity now. And so, again, I just want to be super, super emphatic about this. When I talk about a coach cycling through your system, it's not an insult anymore, especially at that level. It's the limbo of the American Athletic Conference, and honestly, it's not the worst system in the world. When you look at, hey, South Florida seems better for it, right? They got Charlie Strong because, because specifically – Taggart was able to show you can sustain success at a particular level there. You're in a good area for recruiting. And the funny thing is, is people would not automatically think of Philadelphia as a good area for recruiting. It's not a bad one. It's not bad. I mean, yeah, you're not going to get Penn State lives and dies. Penn State lives and dies in Pittsburgh and and Philadelphia before they branch out and start recruiting Maryland and Ohio and everything else. Um, Excuse me. It's a, it's a place where you can win battles. Matt Rule won a couple battles against Penn State. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, all about what you're looking for. Like, you can't live off of, like, four- and five-star kids if you're recruiting primarily Philadelphia, but there are three-star kids in the area, and there are plenty of them. And so if you can win some of those, and you don't have to spend much of your recruiting budget getting a decent little layer of three-stars, that's, uh, you know, you can you can live off that. Yeah. Bill, what would you do in Boston? 
I, for the sixth consecutive year, attended the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Um, I thought you were at a Bruins game. I, I did uh, record a Bruins. Well, okay. First of all, I need somebody to explain to me how to do freaking Instagram videos because I have no idea why I didn't record freaking sound on that damn thing. Um, but Don't I didn't. About so it. I, I think the world. It was like a you know, flogging Molly sign, and everybody was singing along, and here's to Boston and all that stuff. It was a. It was the most Boston thing I've ever experienced, and I I posted a muted video on Instagram. It's great. Um, yes. Yeah, so the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. First of all, I saw more college football people or college related people there than I have before, which like is who? very encouraging. Um, well, that, you know, you just walk around. I, we saw Nebraska's guy. They have the director of analytics, uh, Tucker Zelaney. Saw him. Um, saw saw pullovers and and vague titles from Michigan and Oklahoma and Oregon and and a Temple guy. No idea. Really? Yeah. And, and granted, you know, these are they they looked coach age. They could have just been students or something. It's, you never know unless you st- stop people and just say, "Hey, uh, hey, fellow nerd, what are you here for?" But um, please tell me regardless, what you did. regardless, um, you know, the, you know, Notre Dame's athletic director, Jack Swarbrick, was there. Georgia's athletic director, um, whatever the hell his name is that I'm blanking on all of a sudden. Um, yeah. So there's a college presence there. There was not another college football panel like there was two years ago. We seem to be it, that seemed to be a one and done thing. But whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to be on it. And that's all it counts. I, I'm, I've been on 100 percent of them. Uh, but no, it, it's, it, it was, I, I was trying to explain this to, to a couple people who were there for the first time. So my, the first time you go to Sloan, if you have any sort of stat background, any sort of analytics, you want to know that the nerds are going to change the world and all that. Uh, the first time you go, you're like, holy crap, the nerds are going to change the world. You know, this, this is great. This is amazing. Look at all these 3,500 people here. Look at all this. This is uh, fantastic, man. We're, we're great. Um, that was what I felt the first time I went in 2012. It felt like th- the next three years, the theme of the conference was basically the nerds won, let's celebrate. Um, it was an extremely self-congratulatory tone to the conference as a whole. Uh, and I, you know, kind of consequently got absolutely nothing out of going to any panels. Uh, it just wasn't a particularly enjoyable time, generally speaking. So... Um, because you know, of the hubris involved? No, no. Yeah, it just wasn't like I didn't. I didn't go to celebrate myself or anybody else. I, I kind of went. Be, well, number one, you go because of social opportunities and the people you haven't seen for the last year. But you okay, know, so I really back, back up a little bit and explain to, okay. to those of us who have no inclination in the stats world. What do you do there? Okay, and, and what kind of person is there in sports? <laughs> it's not just okay. an analytic person, is it? Okay, so there are there are is an agenda of panels. Um, then they, you've got a, um, a series of presentations, you submit your presentation and, and the, and certain ones get chosen to like to be displayed at the conference and you stand there and it's like, a, so it's like a part academic conference. Uh, and, okay. and some of the research, some of the research presentations are really pretty cool. And some of them just seem like they were put there so that they could be unwittingly torn apart. Um, but whatever, there's like, you know, you a winner chosen. Each other with this thing. Uh, well, yeah, we're, we're, we're nerds. Um, and then there's the, the, there's the hackathon on, on Thursday before the conference. Um, the, you know, you, there's a student group and a professionals group, and you're basically given a set of data in six hours to make something interesting out of it. Okay. Um, so like they had player tracking data for football last year. They did, I think, sport view data for basketball this year. Uh, so there's a competition there. 
And I mean, these these dudes can put together some pretty impressive stuff. Uh, I, I, I like a doctoral psych student from OU uh, won the student group this year, and she she did a, yeah, kind of a, a spectacular job uh, what she was doing. But anyway, so you got that, and here are some examples, real quick. Here are some examples of panels, uh, so you kind of know what you're dealing with here. There are the basic ones. Like there's always a just generic basketball analytics panel or future of basketball analytics panel. There's a generic football analytics panel, a a baseball. There's usually a hockey. There's always a soccer. Uh, So you have your basics there and, and uh, they've done a good job previously. You know, you'd have like a GM on there, a former coach on there, a nerd on there, maybe another, maybe a former player or a current player, and then an ESPN personality moderating. And the ESPN personality, a Susie Colbert type, would would inevitably go up there and go, "So analytics, huh? Interesting. What does analytics mean to you?" And the the first like thirty minutes of the panel would be the exact same conversation that happened the year before, and the year before, and the year before. We, we've been desperately trying to get them to basically put like that nerd person or a, a writer who has written used uh, who has worked in analytics a lot. We've been desperately trying to get them to put 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 them in charge of the panel. Let them be the moderator. They did that a lot more this year. Bill Barnwell did the football panel and just fast forwarded. Bill Barnwell fast he basically fast forwarded through the BS first half hour. Now the football p- analytics panel was also interesting because apparently uh, Teddy Bruschi just showed up. Um, he wasn't listed. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody knew he was going to be there. And then, he like was five minutes, the bef- Patriots that day, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, five minutes beforehand, he they they just said, "Hey, Teddy Bruschi's going to be here," and then he was there, um, which was awkward and weird, but also kind of great because it seemed like he was on stage, basically trying to teach himself. Okay, so what is this? Tell me what, like, what am I supposed to be? Uh, so that was something, you know. You guys tutored jock and math. Basically, it was yeah live on stage. It was great, um, mm. but there there's a, there was a panel on quote unquote daily data driven storytelling and um, you know e- esports emergence and engaging the modern fan and all these things. Uh, mm. And then they also had things like Nate Silver and Adam Silver talking for an hour. Um, they had Nate Silver and Mark Cuban talking for an hour, which Who's was Nate Silver for our audience. Uh, I mean, I would assume anybody who re- listens to this knows, but the proprietor of five, the proprietor of five thirty eight dot com, the nerd who got yelled at a lot last year during the uh, political election. Um, so yeah, it's like a mix of whatever nerd celebrity and constructive panels, and and most professional teams send a represent at least one representative there now, just to kind of find to make sure they don't miss anything more or less. Gotcha. Uh, but really. I like I go every year I write I usually write something about something and and I've kind of got what in mind what I'm going to write about this year but um what you is know, it you, oh, I can't tell you it'll be um you know part of a part of a large part of a yes part of a large uh multi-part series a feature thing that's probably hopefully going out next month um and, and that should tell you your answer um but no, I go to basically socialize because it's kind of neat to see the same people every year and you see them once a year and you hang out and, and you, uh, you have drinks. And if, if somebody, if you're in good with a, a gambler or a fantasy sports guy who gets a box before a hockey game, then you get to go to a hockey game. So, Ooh, who um, did you do? Are you going to name drop anybody there? Nope. Okay. So, um, wow, in on. Ah, you're acting like a reporter. I like it. So anyway, yeah, that that was basically uh, Sloan is Sloan. It's Sloan every year. There is actually competition now. Um, 
you know, there was a, I don't remember what they called what it, mean? but I think there was a, uh, well, like that same weekend or the, that week, uh, midweek or whatever, they had a thing in Stanford that was kind of a, you know, whatever, emerging sports something something conference. Um, gotcha. So, but so maybe that's why they, they got a little tighter this year and that they needed to because they're not the only show in town, but uh, okay. that's, that's how I spent, I, I, we, we spent a couple of days in Boston, uh, or excuse me, a couple of days in New York last week where, uh, you blew me off. And then we, I went to Boston mm-hmm. and, um, God, you were worse than my wife. <sighs> I had to take care of some business. <sighs> More important than taking care of me. Never mind. Um, God. so yeah, a couple of days in New York and then went straight from there to Boston for a few days and then got home Sunday night. All right. So. If you are just a college football fan, yes. what does the future of college football, is, is anything hanging in the balance at an event like Sloan? Or do you feel like what you're doing now is basically, um, I wouldn't say on course, because that would be sort of bold to predict that we know exactly what you know this whole business is going to look like in a couple years. <laughs> but for the average fan, what do you take away from Sloan if you're the average fan? The average college football fan? Yeah. Are schools are schools embracing what you do and what people like Bill Barnwell do and what people like football I, outsiders do? I mean, does it feel like it's gotten any better? My I assumption think, is that it is not. It really probably hasn't. I think more people. I mean, I think we're in the same kind of position from a team perspective <clears throat> as we were a few years ago. Just in that, everybody just is just kind of like, oh, I would do something analytics wise. Tell me specifically what to do, please. I have no idea. Um, and so they're kind of waiting for somebody to kind of take the lead in that regard um and you know if you bought a copy of the 50 best college football teams of all time you saw on the on the back of the book uh you saw on the back of the book in my little bio that among other things it says i am co-founder of d1 labs uh with a a guy named colin davy who who twice won that hackathon that i mentioned earlier um that is an ongoing that is an ongoing semi-undefined uh project uh that uh involves basically doing some of that and helping coaches figure out what the hell to do with numbers. But regardless, yeah, I think everybody is still in not, not necessarily a wait, wait and see kind of mode, but just a, uh, yeah, sure. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. If it helps me win games kind of thing. I feel like I can probably answer what I'm, I'm going to ask, but based on the conversations I've had with coaches and you were with me at ASCA this year, staffs are embracing advanced stats, but I wouldn't say it's become the norm it's no. increasing in popularity, but it is definitely marginally so. Yes. Like well, and, I mean, you think about it's still indie rock. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean, like we've said, we've talked about before, coaches they coach how they were taught to coach, um, and it's a demanding enough job that you can't. There's not necessarily going to be uh, a lot of time for, hey, let me figure out a new way to do this. You're basically, you got your 18-hour workday ahead of you, and you're just plowing forward doing exactly what instinct tells you to do. And that doesn't leave a lot of time for, the, for, for new things. So the coaches who are more likely to be catching on to this sort of thing or trying to figure out think, new things is, is the ones who are younger and haven't completely internalized what they're doing yet. Um, and, you know, there are some older guys who at least – you know, at least they have at least hired people to go figure all that out. But, um, but yeah, generally speaking, that that's the major issue. I I don't want to say like old coaches are stubborn and bar, you know, like, like they're bad. Although that Um, exists, certainly. It exists, but really I think it's just an instinct thing. This is how coaching works because I've been doing it for 40 years and I don't, uh, you know, I'm not going to figure anything out. I'm not going to figure out anything new now. Even though you absolutely could. You could. 
but I'm forgiving towards coaches because I, I at least under, you know, <laughs> I know that what, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough and, you know, you go to AFCA and you see how kind of stressful the job can be at times too. So oh, it's pretty I, awful. Honestly, the market is strange. It's complete. It's, it's unforgiving. You are criminally underpaid as a young coach uh, or a GA or whatever analyst, whatever kind of crappy title they give you. Um, Groupthink is a very fascinating concept in general when you look at politics and media and stuff like that. But amongst coaches, yeah, there are things that are taboo. It's hard to be a contrarian. People yep. don't like Mike Leach. People don't like, um, you know, uh, even the option guys. That's a great example. You know, I talk to option coaches and they're very frustrated because they feel like they are, they carry some sort of, you know, unfair stigma for being option coaches as if, hold please. <coughs> sneeze live on the air um as if they can you know being an option coach is somehow akin to being a jv you know version of uh, of a college coach or you know you you coach sprint football or something like that right um so well if suddenly, yeah if you suddenly become the money ball head coach especially the collegiate level at a major program that's going to probably have a negative effect on your perception in the coaching community Unless it wins big. Unless, which, unless, you suddenly, unless you win, and at that point, every old traditional Southern, you know, uh, uh, line them up and, and rub some dirt on it type dude is suddenly going to become a mathematician. Um, yeah, I mean, you think about some of the the famous quote-unquote advancements for analytics and whatnot, or, or even, you know, it just blends into the option and, and the, the coaching. So first of all, the, the famous example for, for the quote-unquote money ball, the thing that actually spawned the book money ball was, was Billy Bean and, and Paul DePodesta, what they did at Oakland. And they basically, they were in this tiny little low budget vacuum with, with minimal pressure on them, at least compared right. to others at, at that moment, minimal pressure. Yeah. They had, yeah, and they had just won a little bit. So he had a little bit of cachet to, to spend, so to speak. Um, and they just sat it. I mean, they, this tiny little, they created this tiny little island and they did things really weird and it worked just enough to get that noticed. But that wouldn't have worked if Billy Bean was the, the general manager of the New York Yankees. Meanwhile, Paul Johnson, you know, he really got started at Georgia Southern and Hawaii. Um, you know, the, Mike Leach and Hal Mummy, they they kind of went crazy at like Iowa Wesleyan and Valdosta State, uh, which by the way got major flack because you don't you don't throw the ball at Valdosta State, you run the option. Um, they managed to get away with it anyway, but it took it took experimentation elsewhere, and it just took them being amazingly antisocial um, to the point of being awkward about it. Uh, it, it, that's the personality it took to, to really commit to something like that. But so in circles of influence and power, the perception of a Val, a success at Valdosta state or, or a school, you know, like that is that, well, you know, of course it's going to work down there, right? That right. it's a small school where it's, it's not real big boy football, whatever the hell that means. So <laughs> accordingly, let me ask you this, you get hired tomorrow to be the advanced the advanced stats analyst director, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> at a team that has some sort of bearing on the national picture in college football. That's all. Okay. That, that's my only prereq. So, FBS, yeah. definitely mm-hmm. okay, and then also a team that that is going to be somewhat relevant. Now, keep in mind, like what you just said, Billy Bean doesn't work if he's running the Yankees or the Red Sox or whatever. You can't go too high, and you can't go too low. 
right now in 2017, Bill Connolly, where, what, what school do you think gives you this job and allows you a freedom enough to, to explore and experiment and then hopefully succeed? Um, I don't have any. Well, I have no. I have no coaching experience, so I would not get hired. But no, um, you're not a coach. To... I'm saying you, you get hired in the um, what's the Jonah Hill role in the movie? I know oh, like a, like a like a, a coordinator of analytics, kind of like yeah. assistant coach is what you're saying. Exactly. Well, first of all, I think it would have to be a school. Like, what's a good example of a school? Arizona. Um, okay. That kind of level of school, and maybe even that that sc- level of school with that trajectory at the moment, where Lovely you know time. you can you can get you can get pretty high, but not a, not top you know not national title high, and and uh, you can you can't fall low because the fan the fans will care if you if you finish last, right. um, and maybe you've had a couple of bad years, uh, and you're willing to try something. So you know, an Arizona would be a, a decent example. Um, there's always like the Kansas example. That's as close to Oakland A's as you get in, in power conference football. Yeah, but, um, but Oakland had won a little bit, remember? I mean, Kansas is a... That's true, yeah. Blank from yeah. Blank from a From a... Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, Arizona's my best... Let's see, I'm circling through the other conferences. Is that Kentucky, maybe? Um, Kentucky's weird in that they... It's very weird, but they show up. They have a fan the basketball base. basketball thing poisons the well on understanding your place. Much, <laughs> yeah. much the much the same way that the football thing poisons the well for basketball for the other SEC schools that are not the thing Florida. Of, the thing, the thing about this too is that um, you know what's more likely to happen. So, so using Premier League soccer as an example, now Leicester kind of changed this equation a little bit because they did really interesting things from a scouting perspective in in the way they put that team together last year that made a relatively lucky run. Um, but generally, like when when quote unquote stats were finding their place in the uh, in the Premier League, it was like Liverpool and Manchester City investing the most in it. I kind of assume that's the same thing that will happen in college football. Uh, you know, not necessarily from an experimentation standpoint, but just from a pure, like, who's investing the most and who's tr- trying to use it to it at worst. See, okay, uh, man, I, I have too many thoughts at once here. But I'll, I'll just finish this thought first. I would say that it's going to be your Alabamas and your, uh, your the, you know, those levels of schools that are going to be well, investing the most in this because they can they're going to notice after something after Bill Connolly and and Scrappy School X achieves Y, you know, winning a conference, winning or a division or something like that. So I'm asking you again, who's your Oakland A's? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna for now. I'm gonna stick with Arizona, um, somebody like of that level. Um, but to finish my other thought, uh, you know, there are two ways that stats kind of uh, end up being. Uh, a part of a given, like of every coach and staff in the country. One of it is the breakthrough, the, the, the Oakland A's example. But the other part is just is speed. I always compare it to video. Like uh, if you talk to a coach who was a, a graduate assistant in the 1970s, almost certainly his first job was splicing film and hanging them on racks so they could u- be used for, um, for film study. Yeah. And um, the, the just DVDs and computers and all the advances that happened, well, since the 70s, but really since the 90s, um, the, the speed and the time that that saves, the, the ability to basically play a road game and have the game on your iPad for on the, the flight the home. home. Yes, I right. actually had that quote, yeah. <laughs> like, that's an enormous advancement. And basically what stats can do, I mean, they can, you know, you can go crazy with them, but what they can absolutely do for anybody is take what you do and do it and let you do it much faster from a scouting standpoint and, and, and self self scout and all that. So, um, 
that and so for like uh, the the Alabamas of the world, the ones that have money to spend, at the very least, they're going to be doing that uh, and and figuring out streamlined processes. And then basically, then it's up to the coach. Like you know, how much rope do you have? How desperate are you? One or the other. Uh, you know, you can dabble in it from a speed perspective, or you can dabble in it in it in, in a kind of what does it tell me about my philosophy kind of thing what philosophy should i be you know then you get weird that, that's when you go full that that's when you end up you know with an arizona example but the pure speed aspect is absolutely going to happen and um and, and it's just a matter of when because i mean that's just that that advancement is like a computer advancement as much as a analytics in advancement and it's going to happen good answer thank you it's not. I, I have never talked about this before to anybody ever, uh, and you know that was purely off the top of my head. Said for the well, first you know, time. We know, Bill. You, you do know that I I interview people for a living and get them to talk about things. Yeah. For a living, so I'm sneaky that way. Um, I didn't know that. Well, good luck at Arizona. I'm gonna miss you. Yeah. Hey. Thanks. I hear it's uh, very nice. I hear the weather's very nice. It actually is really nice there. Uh, I mean, <laughs> not that it would be or that would come as a surprise to me. I don't golf, but I know. Everyone I know uh, that golfs obviously swears by that whole area, like to Tempe and Phoenix and stuff. But um, I just I like the dry air. Um, that's gonna. I've be never really, been I to mean, Arizona. This is a total aside before we get into our final stuff. Um, that was my one and only spring game last year because it was I think it was the first spring game of the like entire FBS. Right. And uh, hmm, no Greg Byrne. Really, really bad yeah. year. Yeah. Possibly a bad hire. They made it defensive coordinator. Um, I think that job, man, job might be open. Definitely feel like that. It'd be well, really I interesting mean, to see what Arizona does in 2017. I mean, if Rich Rodriguez wants to, to call and get some advice, I can send him some pretty good stack guys. Here we go. This is how it starts. We'll see. Bill. We have some reader questions. Yes. Would you like to read our, what? our exclusive yeah, I do. And we, we haven't even <laughs> talked about the CUSA. I know. That's right. We've, we've gotten – see, we, we had like three agenda items. We're, we're over 50 minutes in. We've covered like one of the original All agenda right, items. Let's do, right, let's do this. Let's do this. Live on okay. the air as, as usually. Just edit this thing as we speak. Um, <laughs> let's hold reader questions until next week because we didn't get a ton this week. Let's talk about the increasingly interesting Conference USA. So yes. much so that at the meetings last week when I was uh, divvying up assignments and ideas for the younger writers on staff, we have a murderer's row of young talent. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I said, don't touch the cues, it's mine. <laughs> I was serious. Now you have to, I have absolutely no interest in going to like SEC media days or anything like that anymore, but Big 12 you got to go to because it's such a hot mess. You know, it's just, a, it's a, I described it in the meeting, it's a fist fight at a wedding every year, especially last year. So, not that I think that's going to happen at the CUSA, but you're going to have interesting programs that are good with good coaches. So, that, that's one. Then you're also going to have the Lane Kiffin mess compounded mm-hmm. with, and this is where I want to start with you, the like secret sort of underdog big story of Butch Davis going to, to FIU. So, so the Miami schools are going to definitely kind of lead the way when we get there, but there's also like secretly good football there and secretly soon to be popular coaches. Um, yes, I have said this before in the show. We carried it out as a theory before you got to the FIU preview. How right am I that FIU is going to steal the thunder this year? 
Wrong. Of F- no, no, no. Steal the thunder of college football. <laughs> Steal the thunder of, of FAU and Lane Kiffin. Wrong. Okay. Why? Sorry. Is it that bad? Okay. <laughs> so it, it, it comes down simply to the fact that Lane Kiffin inherits more. Okay. Um, but how much? I think FAU, like, not, not a ton. And now, like, both teams return a ton of last year's production. I think the difference for me this year is that Kiffin inherits an, a couple of actual honest-to-God potential stars, uh, guys who proved enough last year that they can absolutely be the kind of, uh, you know, okay, so there's a guy who, if you pay attention this fall, you will get to know his name very well, assuming he doesn't now get jinx injured. Um, his name is Devin Singletary. He exploded at the end of last year. He finished the year. He barely even played the first month of the year. He was de- a, a definitive backup the second month of the year. He still ended up with 1,000 yards rushing last year, 6.7 per carry. Um, and then also caught 26 of 28 passes thrown to him. Okay. Uh, he exploded, and he could absolutely – he's 5'9", 200, so he's not you know um, Derrick Henry-sized, but he's sturdy. And if he stays healthy uh, and, and, you know, I don't know if the terminology, terminology clicks or whatever, then he's going to have a humongous year. Uh, Florida International doesn't have anybody like that. That's the, so basically, Kiffin is an offensive guy who inherits legitimately decent offensive talent. And then, of course, he added, you know, well, he didn't add, but he inherited as well the addition of DeAndre Johnson from Florida State. Uh, yeah. the, com- the competition between Johnson and Jason Driscoll at quarterback should produce a pretty decent quarterback. Almost every single receiver comes back, including this guy, Kaleeb Woods, who's actually pretty good. Um, almost all of the offensive line comes back. Uh, the defense was a, 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 an incredible train wreck last year. Uh, like as the offense clicked the last month of the year and they started scoring like 40 points a game, they still kept losing because suddenly they were allowing 60. Uh, they have like two playmakers. Uh, but I think that's, the, you know, the biggest thing to me is that, you know, he, he inherits a couple of playmakers and then as well, like he went further than Butch did this first go round in terms of Juco's. Um, because let's <laughs> face why. it, wonder why. Right, let's, Let's face it, like, Butch, it, it, you know, let me, how much would you bet on Butch Davis being at FA, FIU in five years versus Lane Kiffin being at FAU in five years? Uh, neither is likely. I guess Butch more because of his age? Right. That's, that's absolutely my answer. Um, right. I mean, Butch, yeah, if, he, if, he, if you know, Mark Ricks retires uh, in, in a year and, and he's won nine games and he gets the job back, great. But, I, you know, this could be Butch's last stop. It is absolutely not Lane Kiffin's last stop. And so, um, you know, Butch didn't exactly recruit all freshmen in his first class, and he won't do so going forward. But Kiffin's all in. Kiffin's like, uh, you know, he's, he's looking to win hum- a humongous uh, number of games in two years, and he might do it. But regardless, he has three star JUCOs at every position in, on the defensive side of the ball. He's got the DeAndre Johnson kid um, at you know at quarterback. Uh, he's yeah. got he got a four star, former four star uh, like Florida uh, commit at receiver, and then he beat UCLA for a JUCO kid um, as well. So they're going to have weapons, and I think they're just more likely to come out of the gates with a good team. Um, but you know, long term, I think Butch is going to do very well there. If he, well, if he stays long term, anyway, because mm-hmm. holy crap! Like the the first part of that FIU uh, preview that I wrote last week was literally me just uh, calculating the distance from FIU to major Miami high schools, and it's crazy. Like three miles to Columbus, four to Southwest, nine to Coral Gables, thirteen to Miami High, fourteen to Booker T. Washington. Um, 
you know, I realize traffic is a thing, but regardless, like their, their recruiting budget doesn't have to be anything at all for him to see massive talent. And then he's really good at getting that talent to his school. Okay. All right. I'm still going to try and write that piece. So just don't tell. Uh, You know, you could be right. You could be right because uh, Butch Davis is also not Lane Kiffin uh, and he's less likely to implode. So he's got that going for him and that could absolutely. Nowhere else in the freaking world does Butch Davis have equity. He has so much. (laughs) They like, I I know this having spent some time with Uncle Luke, Butch is, you know, Jimmy Johnson is not, uh, is no longer a viable candidate to be a coach. You know, he is considered to be, put the statue up, he's got sainthood, right? Right. Schnelli, same deal. After that, when you look at the lineage, it, it's weird because Erickson just doesn't have that cachet down there. I don't know why. No, and he won I, titles. I know. I, I, again, like, it's not my... It's not well, my I know, I know why. I, I understand. Yeah. I just, it is funny because he, he won titles there like everybody else did. Butch, well, let me put it this sure as hell not Larry Coker, okay, who's also <laughs> technically even... Um, Butch is just... He's, he's considered to be the one that they kind of missed out on. Even though they got that title from Coker, they don't consider it to be his. Um, you know, FIU isn't the brand, but to hear like to hear people like Luke and, and, and just media and people I know down in Florida talk about it, FIU has a weird organic thing going that other schools don't have. And so in terms of just feeling like a college campus, feeling like a college game, which is, I mean, I've been to the Hurricanes game in, in I guess it's Hard Rock Stadium now. They, they don't have that. They don't, it, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. New Stadium's nice. It's awesome. Thanks. But it's just not, it's not, it's never going to be the Orange Bowl. But right now, it's, it's still a very antiseptic type feeling. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's possible. Because here's the deal. If you're Butch and you start winning, let's say you start winning seven, eight, nine games, mm-hmm. where are you going to go? I don't necessarily, right. I don't, like, I don't see him jumping. Right, I mean that's right. If if he succeeds, maybe he jumps. Maybe he gets a. But you, I mean, you're right. This isn't quite a. Um, or maybe uh, an Larry- enterprising FIU uses Bush as a as an entree into like the American, right? Right. Who would love? Yeah. No, hey, hey, no, I'm not kidding. Would love that market. If you had a successful yeah. South Florida team, everybody wants that. In terms of the mid majors. So. Yeah, and and if he can kind of set up a lineage for you know his successor and all that, that that's what I'm saying. It really could be his last stop, and it's not quite like a Larry Blakeney at Troy situation where he really like he he was toxic to any bigger schools because of his what was it Auburn his his um his history with Auburn's mm-hmm. violations or whatever. Um, but he was still. I mean, it was kind of he was part of that UNC mess, and I, I, I you know that is certainly an obstacle for him and will continue to be an obstacle. Now, I mean, the other part of this too, is that he has to prove he can coach. He's been sitting on the sideline a long time and he hired two like really old hands to, to run his offense and defense uh, and then hired a bunch of like super young, hungry guys for the position coaches that could work just fine. But I always do get at least a little nervous when a guy has been just out of the sport for five years. It doesn't always work out like Bob Davey did, but it worked out for Bob Davey. So there you go. To a degree, at a certain level, which I think is a comparable. Right, comparable right. Thing. And right. he's going to recruit way better than Bob Davey ever recruited. Texas San Antonio. Yeah. Talk to me. Love UTSA. Um, I think I do too. I pat, my 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 UTSA preview today passed the test in, in which um, 
you know, I, the the immediate responses from UTSA fans were, man, I love it when people do their research. He really did his research on this. It means I said really nice things about their <laughs> team. But, I, but I, I mean, I do, I do do research. It's just that that doesn't really count if I say negative things afterwards. Um, of course not. But, you know, so this is what basically we've said this a few times now. And once I kind of dived in a little bit, it, it reaffirmed what we've been saying on this show before. And that's just that bottom line for UTSA is they hired a recruiting coordinator um, to bring talent to UTSA. And he kind of made the team better before his recruiting had any impact. This wasn't UTSA wasn't an amazing team last year. Uh, they were only 103rd in S and P plus. They only, they were only six and seven. So it's not we're not talking about a top 40 pr- turnaround by any means. But they improved on offense. They improved on defense. They improved on special teams, and they return almost everybody this year, like top 30 level of experience. And now the recruiting kicks in a little bit. So I, you know, he he Im- engineered improvement with a really young team, and now he gets to in theory reap the ben- the spoils of that. And I kind of I almost hate this because this increases the likelihood that he gets hired away. And I w- I kind of wanted to see what he could do for three or four years in a really really fertile mid major area, uh, but I don't think he's going to be there three or four more years if he coaches as well this year as he did last year. Well, I think it depends very much on what's available. Um, right. It, it's. And I really don't have anything in mind. I definitely don't see him making a move to a school that is not P5 proper. Like, he doesn't jump no, to No, yeah, no, I, doubt, I highly doubt that, yeah. The only thing I could think of, um, and mm, let me put a couple caveats in front of this. It would take a lot, it would take probably more time than he's willing to do because he'd have to, he'd have to readjust off the offense. Let's say, and I don't really see this first thing happening, but let's say Willie Fritz gets a job, another job. Mm-hmm. You'd have to tell Ooh. me off the top of my head. I don't think Tulane's not even ready with personnel yet for him to break over 500, are they? Right. Well, maybe 500, right. but not, not Maybe much. 500, yeah. yeah. You can get to 500 pretty fast, but yeah. Putting Frank Wilson at Tulane would be really interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I his nickname in, in a certain part of the country is the King of New Orleans because he was a head coach there in the in the high school ranks. He was, like, principal of school, I think. Um, he was the ace recruiter for so many staffs in the SEC – in, in New Orleans and Louisiana and the Gulf Coast. Um, it would be really yeah, interesting. He was on Edo, yeah, he was on Edo's Mississippi staff. He was on Lane Kiffin's Tennessee staff. Yeah. Worked for Mississippi State, worked for LSU. Um, really delivered Les Miles some amazing, amazing talent. Um, so, other than that, he would, uh, I think he may sit in limbo for a little while. I think he's there for, I think he's there for, three years i don't think he's gone okay. i hope so i hope so because i really am curious what i'm really curious what level of talent he can amass there because um now that we, now that we've at least gotten a glimpse that he will be able to coach the talent he gets yeah um which is never a given with a quote-unquote recruiting guy look at edo's first go-round obviously but um man yeah no it's it's a really really uh it's gonna be an interesting couple of years in san antonio for that program and this, by the way, this is what we were talking about last week. Um, you know, the AAC, the AAC has made its bones on getting a bunch of exciting coaches in. Uh, they're more likely to get exciting young coaches, uh, and, and there's nothing young about Butch Davis, and, and even Lane Kiffin's in his 40s now. But um, Well, Frank Wilson's in his 40s too. But um, as we always say, coach, uh, conferences improve when the hiring improves, and Conference USA has done a hell of a job. And that's actually, I'm going to see, see that right into another potentially strong hire, you know, based on his first year performance. Seth Luttrell did very good things in North Texas too. Um, not that they were, 
you know, this is basically like UTSA in that, you know, they weren't amazing last year by any means. You know, five and eight, one hundred seventh in S and P, uh, but they were horrible in in twenty fifteen. Uh, that program, Dan McCartney got them to a bowl, got them nine wins in twenty what thirteen, and then regressed considerably in twenty fourteen, and then regressed considerably again in twenty fifteen. They were probably the worst team in the country that year. The fact that they were able to rebound twenty spots and again improve on both offense and defense that says pretty good things because they also return a good amount of last year's team. Uh, I, I I think UTSA is a step ahead of them overall. But again, if you hire guys, if every school that you've got hires a better coach than it just had, you have a pretty good conference on your hands. Bill. Yeah. We kind of have to cut this one off a little bit. Is there anything left? We will save our book length email about Boston College till next week. Well, and that's that's more of a uh... – that's really more of a um, invective for you guys to get out there and start sending us more questions because it's tapered off. Um, and for me, I'm a little disappointed because I don't want to dedicate an entire mailbag to Boston College. Uh, we got a tweet. I got a tweet. Did you? I don't know if you got it too. I think it was late last night as we record this on Wednesday morning, um, or maybe it's the night before. Are we going to bring back uh, bo- Blind Box for oh. Bingo? Um, I'm down. I mean, I'm fine with it if you are. Yeah, I mean, I, I was curious if the format that we had last year kind of ran its course and we needed to come up with something different. I mean, and that was, I was kind of letting, I was kind of seeing if something would just kind of create itself because that's what Bingo did last year. It was just something that came out of our brains randomly. But I tell um, you what, let's do this. We'll bring it back as a limited run um, just because we do, we did start to see some redundancies. Um, let me, I'll throw out a couple rules 2016 season only. Uh, that's a challenge not to Bill, that's a challenge to you guys, because Bill has that stuff fresh in the institutional memory, all right? So you guys are going to have to be good when you quiz him. It can't be too obvious. Um, and let's just say I'll pick the best five, and we'll carry that through. How about that? Okay. You guys have to email those, by the way. That's also yes. another invective. You guys have to... Ask God Jr. Ask uh, God Jr. at SB Nation. It's the first time I've ever given my email out on the show. I feel terrible. Right, really? No, I thought you gave it for a box score bingo last year. Maybe. I don't know. I just started getting them, and then people started, and then the whole, okay. no, the whole <laughs> was we never give our email. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry so for breaking the them. tradition then. Sorry, sorry. Uh, that's actually not even my actual work email. I don't even, I never use my work email. I'm shady that way. Okay. Bill. Yeah. Where are we going to be on the preview schedule next week? Uh, coming up. We are hitting the we are hitting the home stretch of um, of Conference USA. We've got MTSU, Southern Miss, Old Dominion, uh, Louisiana Tech, Western Kentucky, and the Power Rankings, which will have all gone up uh, before our next show, assuming we're recording next Wednesday. Um, and we will I will then have started on the bottom of the MAC by that point. Okay, so maybe we focus on the top end of the queue for next week as we get. Yeah, and, and focus on what a hell of a job uh, Skip Holtz has actually done at Louisiana Tech because he's done a hell of a job at Louisiana Dude, you Tech. sleep or ride for that program. I'm telling you. All right, that's fine. That's cool. We all we all have our darlings. It'll be their it'll be their moment. Uh, it'll be their moment soon. As always, we thank you for your time. You can follow Mr. Bill Connolly on Twitter at sbn underscore bill c. Myself, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram. I haven't really been on that Instagram much lately. Yeah, uh, at 38 Godfrey. Be sure to subscribe, review, click, um, exalt and praise. SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever fine podcasts are sold in your city. Uh, if you have a question for us and you absolutely want it to get read, 
go to the comment section when we post these on SBNation.com. We're trying to make that comment section live a little bit more. So we will interact with you guys if you jump into that comment section. Um, it's uh, a little bit of an idea that we have at work. So hopefully that'll um, kind of kick up so a little bit more of a community aspect on the site in particular. Um, Bill, ain't no such thing as an off season. We're doing just fine. Um, by the way, did you notice that <laughs> that last week's uh, comment section has 118 comments in it? No, it does. Uh, it does. What happened? So Is it bad? Uh, I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna find out because we just said we participate and then this all exploded. No, the week. assumption was the reason I said that was because for weeks and weeks and weeks when we would post the podcast on the site, it was just a jumper page. It was like not there Holy was crap. Was there an argument? Wow. Yeah. About um, it all happened like Wednesday and Thursday. We posted it on Monday, then we traveled on Tuesday, and nobody had commented, and then it exploded when we stopped looking. Yeah, we well, were bunkered down at the summit, so, we, I mean, I wasn't on... I rarely look at that, like I said, I don't look at that page after we post anymore, because no one was going there. Well, no So what was your argument? Uh, um, let's see. We have some scotch talk. We've got some... Oh, we've scotch. got somebody talking about Jerry Sandusky. Okay. Um... So we this basically became a, a generic espionation trash talk thread. It appears uh, here's a, here's a here's a um, oh here's a, an old Miss fan dropping some f bombs. Okay, so it's it's that ah old Miss. Well, got it. Cool. Okay, well let's try and class that up because the true listeners that doesn't reflect us at all. No hmm. one's in there. Yeah, no. no one's in there parsing particulars about a G five and. Oh yeah, it was yeah right right out of the gates. I do remember that right out of the gates, an old Miss fan came in to complain about uh, you know how how much they were getting yelled at, basically. But uh, yeah, kind of kind of evolved. Anyway, anyway, okay. Well, it wasn't good. You're you're still to well, yeah, it was it was it was rough. Um, Okie dokie. Yeah. So, but next week, if there is another hundred plus comment thread, uh, we will have seen it. So hopefully, uh, go participate. If you're listening to this, go, go by, get you get your username, class up the joint. Yeah, please. Granted, we didn't talk about Ole Miss this time, so that'll help um, in in terms of the the quality of the comments. But yes, go add quality to the comments. Let's let's try that. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Yep.